Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Is the show started? Oh, this is a great question. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, my Halloween-y friends. Oh yeah, it's getting close. It is, it is. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Chomp, chomp. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. And let's get on with the show. We typically steer away from recent cases. Mm -hmm. But after reading the grisly agreed statement of facts in this relatively local story, I was compelled to cover it. Oh. This episode contains disturbing and graphic details of the 2015 murder of a Chinese millionaire in West Vancouver at the hands of his soft-spoken cousin, Li Zhao. The crime's unthinkable and twisted aftermath is horrendous. I think I think I know this. I think I know this one. This is Dark Poutine, episode 145. Lust, greed, and anger, the slang of Gung Wan. Slaying is never good. No. So according to the Bhagavad Gita, lust, greed, and anger are the three gates leading to the hell of self-destruction for the soul. Therefore, all should abandon these things. This story has all three. Boy, oh boy. Yet another case with so many twists and turns that it's difficult to reel what really happened. Mm-hmm. Anyone living in or very familiar with Vancouver and the Lower Mainland will know that the housing market here is more than out of reach for the average buyer looking to get into real estate. Absolutely. According to the properties listed on Realtor.ca as I wrote this episode, the opening cost... For a single family dwelling within the Vancouver city limits will run you at least $800,000. And and that won't be some luxurious no. suite. If you're looking for the top of the range, you can pick up the shack for sale at 4868 Drummond Drive in the exclusive Point Grey neighborhood for the paltry sum of just $37.9 million. I'll take two. Two, yeah. Realtor Layla Yang writes that the residence is, quote, a park-like estate of approximately 58,630 square feet with professionally landscaped garden, outdoor tennis court, indoor swimming pool, video-mounted gate, wide interlocking circular driveway, etc. I can't even imagine what the etc. is. I mean, at least there's some space involved. Well, it sounds like a dump. Some amenity. Yeah, I know. I know. All I can think about is having to mow the lawn. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, uh, 
I, I, something tells me that the owner isn't mowing the right. lawn. I just can't wrap my noggin around that amount of wealth. It's insane. And the crazy thing is, I remember reading something uh, where it was like, at least in the downtown core, a lot of the four, five, ten million dollar penthouses are people's second and third homes. Yeah. Most of the money to buy these mansions seems to be coming from mainland Chinese multimillionaires and billionaires looking for a place to invest their cash other than at home in yeah, China. Yeah, and it's a great investment. According to the National Post in a 2014 article, quote, it's accepted widely understood that mainland Chinese money is a driving force behind the Vancouver property market, says Ian Young, a Chinese reporter with Hong Kong's South China Morning Post newspaper. He continues, there's a reluctance to discuss it outside of the Chinese communities. He says, because people are afraid that if they do, according to the same National Post article from 2014, quote, between 2005 and 2012, according to Statistics Canada, 37,000 Chinese millionaires arrived in British Columbia as permanent residents under the now-defunct Immigrant Investor Program, the IIP. This federal initiative invited wealthy immigrants fast entry into Canada in an exchange for low-interest loans to provincial governments. Affluent Chinese students, entrepreneurs, land speculators, retirees, the so-called, quote, rich second generation of mainland Chinese and astronaut families, mothers and children living in Vancouver with fathers mm. working in China, mm. are also transforming the region. Their capital is welcome but there are social and economic costs absorbed by the larger community and stirrings of resentment, end quote. Yeah, and so the rationale behind that and what that means is a lot of people can no longer afford to live in... A home uh, that they've purchased. And not even in the Van Vancouver core, but the surrounding... Yeah. Uh, because they're you, almost out of reach here in Surrey, even yeah. as far away as Chilliwack. You hear it a lot and you've heard it for decades living in Vancouver that the cost of living is exorbitant. So some people can't stand the wealth and happiness of others. And I've been guilty of it myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at supercars and massive homes on social media posts and around the city has definitely aroused my green monster yeah. of envy from yeah. time to time. And who wouldn't want to be that wealthy? You're probably lying to yourself and others if you deny the desire for a life free of financial worry. That or you're nuts. Well, maybe I'm both. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, I think it is. The city of West Vancouver on the North Shore is one of the municipalities flooded by these mega wealthy oh, investors. Oh my God, yeah. They've been snapping up property there for years. One of the most exclusive neighborhoods, the British properties in the hills above the city proper, boasts some of the largest and most expensive homes in the area. I remember having to go drop a check off at a landlord's long time ago, living yeah. in a basement suite. I had to drop a check off at their property, in, in British properties. Uh, all I did, I just saw inside the front door, yeah. there was a waterfall in there from inside there. Yeah. Oh. Well, I lived on the North Shore in the 90s. And while working for a security company there, I babysat some of these estates as they were being built. Oh. So I got to see inside of them, and I was amazed by the size of the lots, number one. These lots are massive. Yeah. But the homes on the lots are also massive. Our entire townhouse right now could fit into the foyer yeah. of some of these places. Seriously. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Talk about opulence. Also mentioned in the 2014 National Post article is Vancouver television producer Kevin K. Lee's show, modeled after reality entertainment programs like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous mm. and the various housewives of, insert place name here. Mm -hmm. And it was a YouTube series presented in Mandarin and English, featuring the daughters of affluent Chinese Canadians living in Vancouver. They called it HBICTV or Ultra Rich Asian Girls. I'd watch. <laughs> it ran over three seasons, and the show quickly became a hit in Canada and Asia and has had millions of downloads. Really, I've never heard of it, and that's right up my alley. I have heard of it. I heard of it before this, but I didn't hear of the connection to this case. Oh, yeah. One of the stars of the first season, season one, was Flo Z, or Yi Ming Zhao. Flo, or Florence, was the object of her uncle Gang Wan's lust and desire and the daughter of his killer, Li Zhao. It, it, did you say uncle? Well, she called him uncle. Okay. It, we get into what the relationship really was, but 
She said uncle. I got the uncomfortables. The following details of Li Zhao's life leading up to the crime come from a summary of his own testimony and court documents. Mm. It is his truth, so take it for what it is. The victim, Gang Wan, isn't around to tell his story, nor is there a lot of information about him other than news reports. So we'll have to rely on this rather lopsided take, which inconveniently is from the killer's point of view. Mr. Zhao painted himself as a troubled person who had an awful childhood in China. Although his parents were doctors when Zhao was eight years old, his father ran afoul of the government, and this was during the Great Cultural Revolution, so big-time communism happening here. He was imprisoned for two years. After being released, his father was declared politically dead and was unable to work. His mother was still able to work but was discriminated against, mm. he said. The family's reduced circumstances led them to having to scavenge for food and fuel, eat only one meal per day, and gather under a single blanket for warmth. So it sounds that's, horrible. That's a struggle. It sounds horrible. Yeah. If that's the way it really was, that that's, that's horrible. Yep. Not only the father, but the rest of the family was ostracized as well. And derision by those towing the party line flowed downward on Li Zhao and his siblings. They were repeatedly bullied but, quote, dared not fight back for fear of further consequences. Mm -hmm. Every day was stressful. Zhao was terrified walking to and from school, not knowing when the next attack would come. He described himself as living in despair and fear every day. Again, not fun. No, I mean, you hear this kind of political struggles. In, Oppression. Uh, uh, yeah, and like Iran and you know Iraq not that long ago and stuff, where if, you're, if you don't toe the party line, yeah. you're ostracized. Yeah. Zhao's mother was killed in a car accident when we, he was only 11. Oh, shit. She was the only real breadwinner at the time, and due to uh, Zhao's father's political situation, the death left the family even more destitute. Oh, my God. Okay. When Zhao was 16, he went to a farm labor camp set up for young people by the government to deal with the absence of jobs for them in the cities. He said that he was one of the youngest at the camp. The average age for first attendance was around 18, mm. but Zhao went early enough to have food to eat. He says he sent 90% of his earnings back to his family, which enabled them to eat more than once a day. Good okay. on him. It sounds rough as hell, but good on him. There was an arduous work schedule at the camp, six days a week for 12 hours a day. And although because he was a small for his age, he often needed 15 hours to complete his tasks. Sweet gibbers. I've worked 15 hour days and they are not pleasant. I, I imagine whatever he's doing isn't sitting in front of a computer. No. I'm suspecting this is hard manual labor. Right. And there's oh. probably some overlord watching over him with a, yeah. with a chip on his shoulder Jesus. or a bad move. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That camp and another nearby one that he ended up working in afterward were in the northernmost part of China, and the winter climate was very harsh. During an ill-advised and unsuccessful attempt to walk home, which was 1,500 kilometers away, motivated by homesickness, he suffered frostbite. Eventually, he ended up in the psychiatric unit of the local hospital. No one actually told him what type of mental disorder they believed he was suffering from. He was discharged after a few months with medication, but stopped taking it after a few more months because it made him feel drowsy. That was the only mental health assessment he ever received until he was assessed on remand for Gung Wan's murder. My God. So out of homesickness, he tried to walk 1,500 kilometers? Yeah. They would probably... In winter? Right. So that's probably why they gave him a little rest. I'd say... Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's like to drive that, you're looking at a couple of days. Yeah. He worked in these camps for five years. Eventually, a political change allowed him to return to the city. He claimed that his time in the camps was traumatic. He said that the rough treatment led him to oversensitivity to his surroundings, and he became afraid of doing things to make people unhappy. I, I get it. Yeah. So if somebody becomes upset with him, it's more of a thing than it would be for somebody who hadn't been through what he has been through. All the emotions surrounding that would be enhanced. Right. Things eventually got better for Zhao. After working in manufacturing and transportation, he ultimately joined some of his siblings in the photo processing business and became very successful. 
He added to his earnings with a highly profitable investment in a company that went public just after buying a large number of shares. So smart. Boom. Yep. You know, uh, when the Chinese economy changed and opened up a little bit, he and his family took advantage of it and they did well. Yep. By this time, he'd met and married his wife, Xiao Mei Li. Their daughter, Yi Ming, was born in 1987 during the application of China's well-known one-child policy. Yeah. So she was the only child that Zhao and his wife were allowed to have in yeah. China. Yeah. The couple loved and cherished Florence, and using a common Mandarin expression for an only daughter, Zhao explained that they think of her as, quote, the pearl in the palm of their hand. Oh, lovely. One of his reasons for deciding to immigrate in 2001 was to give her, his daughter, a better life. Mm -hmm. So they first settled in Montreal, where Zhao purchased several investment properties. He and his wife became active in the Chinese community there, and it was there that Zhao met Gang Wan. Zhao Mei Li, Zhao's wife, is the adopted daughter of Gang Wan's paternal aunt, making them cousins, albeit not related by blood. D yeah. Gung's own story was described in another National Post article as, quote, messy and complicated. Jesus. From court documents, quote, Yuan was born in 1973 in Heilongjiang, a northern province in China. He came to Canada in June 2007 as a permanent residence, sponsored by Dan Zhang, whom he married in September 2005 and then divorced in August of 2007. And this is from court documents, so it's not me saying this. The marriage was clearly an immigration fraud. Oh, wow. Quote. Okay. Wow. It's also unclear how Gung Yuan made his money from the National Post. Quote, like most Chinese of his generation, he did not come from money. There are conflicting accounts on how Yuan made his money before coming to Canada. It appears he owned interests in a coal mine and an iron mine, both in China. After a brief stint in Toronto, he settled in Vancouver and, according to court documents, went on a spending spree buying two luxury cars worth over $600,000, large tracts of farmland in Saskatchewan, 48 of them. Oh, my God. And reportedly at a value of more than $7 million. And he turned some of those over and turned others into farms. Mm. Mr. Yuan invited the Zhao family to come to Vancouver. Gong said they would have a much better life on the West Coast and Zhao could work for him. The family came to BC in 2010, where they lived for a year in a Tudor-style mansion owned by Yuan in Shaughnessy, and it's called 3333, The Crescent. So if your home has a name... Yeah, you're, it's... It's something. It's a, it's a sizable place. And again, uh, Shaughnessy. It's crazy as we're going through this, because there's like listing oh yeah yeah point uh point gray and british property there's a lot of very affluent wealthy regions yeah. in vancouver according to li Xiao's later testimony mr yuan originally planned to renovate the home at 3333 the crescent but after becoming frustrated with the regulations governing heritage homes he apparently tried to enlist Mr. Zhao to help him burn it down. Zhao eventually dissuaded him from that plan, and he decided to sell it instead. So here's some text about that stately home from a recent real estate listing for the $16.8 million residence. <sighs> the Nickel House is one of Shaughnessy's most prestigious mansions. Located on the Crescent, Samuel McClure and Cecil Fox designed this stately Tudor revival home in 1912. It was built for former Lieutenant Governor of BC, a magnet and the wealthiest Vancouverite in his time. The interior features fine wood finishings, beamed ceilings, a grand entry hall, eight fireplaces, lead glass windows, inlaid oak floors, and paneled walls. The grand-scale rooms offer elegance at its best. Over 11,000 square feet with 10 bedrooms. Jesus. Enjoy the one-acre-plus property with beautiful formal estate gardens. The grandeur of the house, its carefully crafted details and stunning grounds make it a well-worth-treasuring piece of history. Why do I feel like I'm I'm like watching some home and garden television? Well, yeah, exactly. Show like, and I've got videos of the of walkthroughs of the of all the residents that are uh, mentioned in this show because they have since come on the market for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. Yuan and Zhao had a business relationship in farms in Saskatchewan on those forty-eight parcels of land. Yeah. 
Mr. Zhao, who had experience with farming in China, looked after all aspects of the business except finances in return for one-third of the revenue or any increase in the value of the land purchased. So that's a pretty good deal for just like, okay, gonna gonna do this. Mm -hmm. The company got into legal difficulties and he never actually received any money for his involvement. Oh, snap. According to him, the problem was that Mr. Yuan paid wages to women who were not even involved in the business and moved his funds to his companies in China instead of covering the loans taken out. So the plot thickens a little bit. Shifty, shifty. Well, yeah, and so Zhao Uh isn't getting paid. Zhao and his wife assisted Mr. Yuan in organizing and performing various tasks necessary for the numerous visits to Vancouver by Mr. Yuan's friends from China. Mr. Zhao's role was managing the hunting and fishing they engaged in. He had not expected to be performing this role for Mr. Yuan when he moved to Vancouver. He thought he was going to be a businessman, yeah. not like a, a, a go-to yeah. guy. Oh. Yeah. It really doesn't sound like a horrific gig to me, though. Yuan and Zhao, they would hunt together as well. And there were guns in the house. Minus the hunting. Like, I'm, I would love this role. Mm-hmm. In 2010, Mr. Zhao bought the house in West Vancouver that he lived in when the murder occurred. Mr. Yuan had loaned him the money to buy it and did not charge him any interest. Shit. This is Zhao talking. Uh, In return for being allowed to live there while his own house was being renovated, Mr. Zhao claimed that he could have afforded the house himself, but this money was tied up in an investment that he didn't want to abandon. So fair enough. Anytime I hear somebody say my money's tied up in investments, I get a bit, I think I find it a bit sketchy. Little. Yeah. Oh, I have I have the money, but it's all tied up in investments. It's all tied up in those investments. Zhao also claimed that Yuan seemed to have far more money than he had even admitted to. Hmm. He'd bought lavish items like a Rolls Royce for himself and a Bentley for Zhao and his wife to run his errands in. Wow, I'd like to run errands in that. In a Bentley? No kidding. Gung also purchased his own private Gulf Island, Pym Island complete with a lodge, speedboat, and a water taxi driven by the island's live-in caretaker. Can I? I would. That's the job I want. To be the caretaker? The live-in caretaker. Well, you can be a, my on, live-in caretaker because I want to own the island. On a private island. <laughs> like, my God. In season one, episodes three and four of Ultra Rich Asian Girls, Flozy can be heard exclaiming, Welcome to my island a statement that would later send up red flags after the island's valid owner turned up dead, slain by her father. So is this show, by the way, it's on YouTube? Yeah, you can watch it. All right, I got it. According to Zhao's own testimony, he became, quote, resentful against Gung Wan over the next few years. Zhao said that Yuan had fathered five children by five different women, none of whom he was married to, Zhao also said Yuan mistreated these women and that he, quote, beat them up and verbally abused them. It's not sounding like a very stellar fellow now. Not really. Zhao claimed that when Gung Wan expressed his desires for his pearl, Florence, Mm -hmm. during an argument about, you guessed it, money, that is when he killed Gung in the heat of the moment. But what he did afterward is truly disturbing. And we'll take a break right here. Oh, okay. Load up YouTube. And we're back. So what are your thoughts so far, Scott? Convoluted. Here's the thing. We're getting one side of the story. Yeah. That which will always be um at best mixed mm-hmm. with truth and falsehoods. Right. At best. Right. You're going to be on trial for committing a murder. Yeah. And there's just so much um, various investments and properties. Like, it's hard to keep track. There's a lot of money riding on Mr. Yuan's life. Yeah, like islands. Yeah, actual islands. <laughs> on May 2nd, 2015, at around 6.45 p.m., Zhao Mei Li, Mr. Zhao's wife, contacted a family friend, Michael Wang, and asked for his help. She was frantic. Mrs. Zhao said that she and her mother had returned home from a walk and found Mr. Zhao and Mr. Yuan in the driveway, with Mr. Yuan lying on the ground, bleeding, and Zhao was acting strangely. At her husband's insistence, she and her mother immediately left the home in her vehicle, eventually contacting and then meeting with Mr. Wang. 
Wong met with Mrs. Zhao and her mother in their vehicle near Park Royal Mall. It took some time for Mrs. Zhao to explain to Wang what was going on. She was emotional and having trouble talking about what she'd seen. She told Wang that she had something to report to police, so they went to the Vancouver Police Headquarters on Camby Street in Vancouver. I'm not sure why they went there, because after learning that the uh, matter had arisen in West Vancouver, an officer told them to call 911 and say where it had happened in West Van. Yeah, guess the... Quite a distance. Wang then translated Mrs. Zhao's account of the events that she had witnessed to the operator from Mandarin to English. Mm. The 911 call was not made until 1129. So five hours have passed. Six. Oh, man, that's all quite uh, sketchy. Something's not right. Yeah. Something's not right. The details of the police activity that followed come from court documents. Shortly after 1130 that night, West Vancouver police members were dispatched to the home at 961 King George Way for a wellness check related to Mrs. Zhao's report. After receiving additional information about the apparent severity of the injuries to the victim and the firearms in the house, they decided not to enter immediately. So they probably have asked Mrs. Zhao, are there any guns in the home? She may have said yes. And she may have described also how badly Mr. Yuan was injured, or they could have determined that if there was blood outside the residence or something like that, because she said that it was out in the driveway. Yeah, I'm just curious because you you put wellness checks. So that makes me think that what they were called there for, it wasn't directly communicated. Yes, a violent act occurred. It, It makes it sound like it was like, we're scared something might have happened. Right. So instead of barging in right away, officers set up a containment around the home. Mm-hmm. And their plan was to attempt to contact Zhao by phone and rely on the emergency response team to enter if they yeah, needed. Yeah, it makes sense. From just before midnight until about 2 a.m., a power tool was heard operating in the garage. Ooh, okay. And it ran in short three to five second bursts. Police called Zhao's iPhone and listened to it ringing from their positions outside of the mansion. He never answered at that point. Two officers stationed at the rear of the home in different positions made observations of a person, who was clearly Mr. Zhao, engaged in cleaning up in the kitchen. Starting at around 2.25 a.m., Zhao methodically washed his hands up to the elbows in the kitchen sink. So he's washing a lot. They can see, but they can't quite see everything. He's doing some lawn care. He's had some lawn maintenance. He's just, you know, cleaning up. Police watched as Zhao went down some stairs from the kitchen and then returned. He was seen washing an 8-inch kitchen knife, described by an officer as butcher style. And then, quote, very methodically washing some other unidentified object in the sink and spending a lot of time cleaning it. It's clear that they can tell something's going on, and I'm still I'm still confused. I know in their mind there's a there's a man in there who may be armed, right? So you know, don't go charging in. But you're clearly seeing this person clean up evidence, and so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, at what point do you just barge in? Well, it's not for quite a while yet. Oh my lord! He was seen twice filling a plastic Rubbermaid bucket or bin with water and carrying it down the stairs. At 3 a.m., he was seen, quote, spending a lot of time, quote, meticulously scrubbing and detailing a yellow and black DeWalt brand reciprocating power saw. These efforts included running the saw itself underwater, which one officer thought was unusual given that it was an electric device, before taking the saw and bucket back downstairs. So there's only one reason that you're going to do that because you don't really care whether it works again or not. Oh, totally. You just want it wiped clean of whatever, whatever. And like DeWalt, like I I know you said a yellow and black, but it's bright yellow. DeWalt power tools. Yeah. Yeah. So after doing that, Mr. Zhao returned to the kitchen, casually poured himself a drink and ate a banana. There's a lot of hard work that's been completed. It's a lot of hard work. He then went about cleaning again. He rewashed his hands up to the elbow, rewashed the bucket and some items in it, and he was seen carrying a hammer across the kitchen. At 4 a.m., 
Mr. Zhao was seen coming from a different part of the house carrying what officers described as a long-barreled hunting rifle over his shoulder, walking through the kitchen and then downstairs. He returned shortly afterwards without the rifle, carrying the bin again instead, which he then appeared to clean in the sink. The officer then saw him stir a drink with a spoon and then pick up the bin and the hammer and turn off the kitchen light. So he poured himself another drink. So in my mind, there's many an occasion where they see he's occupied. His hands are on a bin. He's carrying something. And that's when in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's when you go charge in. Yeah, well, you're not a cop, right? So what well, says you? Well, we don't know what the protocol uh, absolutely. Is. I'm just thinking out loud. Like, here's what my non-officer uh, uh, mentality would be. So six and a half hours after this whole thing <laughs> began, at six twenty-seven a.m., after the day started to break, officers saw a person silhouetted within the house, moving from the front to the back numerous times. At one point, the officer saw this person with the silhouette of a rifle in his hand. The person passed the officer's plane of view two or three times while holding it. Then the officer did not see the gun after that. The police finally succeeded in making contact with Mr. Zhao by phone after 8 a.m. A Mandarin-speaking officer asked him to come outside, and he followed her request. By then, the ART team was in place, and he was taken into custody by them. How anticlimactic to to this chaos happening inside. I'm expecting, kick open the doors, gun shooting. Absolutely none of that happened. Uh, Could have been because he wasn't an English-speaking person. His English wasn't that great. So they had to wait for an, a Mandarin-speaking officer to come. They want to be able to give him a chance to have a conversation with them rather than just... For sure, you know, but, I, but I thought he wasn't answering his phone until... So, like, Wow. Hey, uh, can you come out? Oh, yeah, no worries. Think of the neighborhood where he is. Yeah. So if that's happening in East Vancouver, what do you think is going on? Burn the place down. Yeah. <laughs> With the person in it. There's some barging in, yeah. I would think. Yeah, yeah. More evidence of disparities between classes in Canada and how they're treated by the police. Next, Mr. Zhao was transported to the jail facility at the Vancouver Police Department, which provides support for the West Vancouver Police in serious crime investigations and whose officers went to fulfill several investigative roles in the case. West Vancouver is a small department, yeah, yeah. so they're going to need help with this kind of thing. Yeah, and it sounds like a pretty serious crime. It, it is a pretty serious crime. The ERT officers entered the house to determine who else was present. They found plastic bags containing what turned out to be Mr. Yuan's dismembered remains in the garage, on the floor, and in the freezer. They were secured to be seized by the identification officers and preserved for eventual autopsy. It's bizarre that he he couldn't have been thinking that, yep, the police won't get involved. I'm just going to chop this up, put it in the fridge. I'll get to it later. Like, I would think, like, okay, if you're doing that, maybe incinerate, burn, you know? But, like, to just be like, well... I've, 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 they're, they're nicely packed for the police now. Well, thankfully, Florence, the apparent catalyst for the murder, was away from home on the night of the crime. Okay. According to a New York Times article, quote, friends said she told them that Mr. Yuan, whom she called uncle, was a creepy womanizer and that she was afraid to be alone with him. Okay. Kevin Lee, the producer of Ultra Rich Asian Girls, said she told him she studiously avoided her uncle saying he had, quote, bad vibes. So she is, okay, so, yeah. Yeah. At the police station, Mr. Zhao said, I'm like being in a dream right now, like sleepwalk. So English isn't his first language. Yeah, I'm yeah. just writing yeah, yeah. things as they cool came out. Yeah. Before the interview began, Mr. Zhao's clothing was seized for forensic examination and any apparent injuries to his body were photographed by identification officers. He had small cuts to the upper top areas of some of his fingers, redness to his right knuckle and the wrist areas of both hands, an area of discoloration on his left elbow, a small mark on his stomach, a small scratch on his back, and redness to his knees. So most likely from... Uh, a scuffle. A scuffle and the dismembering, because you're going to be on your knees, power tools. The diminutive, soft-spoken man with no criminal history, Li Zhao began talking to the police in Mandarin with a Mandarin-speaking officer, as he was not proficient in English. Yeah. From court documents, the following are some of the summarized notes of Li Zhao's initial police interviews. Quote, 
Although he described his relationship with Mr. Yuan as, quote, pretty good and, quote, okay, he added that Mr. Yuan's, quote, temperament is particularly bad and that he gets mad quickly. Elaborating on this issue, he said that Mr. Yuan was, quote, very rough and that he, quote, fought with people. In fact, the reason why they fought this time, he explained, was that Mr. Yuan had struck him, which he had never done before. Mr. Yuan was taller and, quote, really strong. Mr. Yuan had previously been living for a few months in China and a few months in Canada at a time. However, there was an anti-corruption initiative brought against him, mm. and that was ongoing in China. And so he had recently come back afraid to return to China. Okay. Didn't want to deal with what yeah. might go down. Mr. Zhao said that Mr. Yuan also, quote, got involved in some crimes and, quote, might also be involved in some sort of crimes in China, end quote. Zhao also described Mr. Yuan as having, quote, tons of girlfriends, a different one every day, end quote, and having acquired, quote, a sexual disease, end quote. <laughs> Further, he was not, quote, responsible to his girlfriends after he had fun with them, end quote, and would often hit them. He later added that Mr. Yuan, quote, beat up so many of them, both in China and Canada. As he put it, quote, he came home with someone tonight, we don't know. The next morning we saw someone crying from being beaten up, then she left, he kept having a different one, Holy end quote. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Money talks, right? I guess so. Zhao's story about how the killing came about is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy it. Well, you haven't heard it. Well, but he, he said the guy, he punched him. Well, you're going to hear more. First. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, let you, we'll let you hear first, and then you can say whether or not you buy it. According to Li Zhao, on the day of the incident, Mr. Yuan was going out for a drink. Before leaving, Yuan asked about an invention that Zhao had been working on and how his research was going. So in response to his request, Mr. Zhao took out the poles he was using for the invention, which he had kept in his gun bag, <laughs> and showed Mr. Yuan how it worked. It was a gun stand that would allow steadier aiming of the rifles when they were hunting, and it had been put together with walking poles. The .17 caliber rifle that Zhao later used to shoot Mr. Yuan was in the same gun bag kept in the foyer. So that doesn't sound so much a, of an invention as it does like a, a hodgepodge of ski poles. It's like it's red green or something. And it's also very interesting that this just happened to be what he was showing him mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. the man ends up dead. Yeah. Color me skeptical. After seeing the invention, Mr. Yuan thought it was quote, pretty good. And they talked about a joint venture. These are Zhao's words, mm -hmm. right? Mr. Yuan is not here to say how this conversation went down, if yep. it ever even happened. Yep. Mr. Yuan offered Zhao $4,000 a month as a salary. Mr. Zhao questioned why, as the inventor, he would not receive any shares in the venture. Mr. Yuan responded, insulting Zhao. Yuan said that it was such a simple invention that everyone who looked at it would think it's simple. You just said red-green yourself, so... Mm -hmm. According to Zhao, Yuan said that he asked for too much. Mr. Zhao interpreted this to mean that, quote, my invention doesn't worth very much. And I know that doesn't make sense, but yeah, again, that's ESL, yeah. broken English. Yeah. yeah. And he said that he didn't feel good when he heard that. He told Mr. Yuan, you're being too much. And it was then that Mr. Yuan apparently said that if Mr. Zhao let him marry his daughter, Yi Ming, he would give him a 50% share. Mr. Zhao added the comment that, quote, I know he's very loose in this aspect. So, not good with women. <sighs> Mr. Zhao told Yuan that this was a bad joke and asked, quote, how is this possible? Yuan responded that his older paternal aunt, Mr. Zhao's mother-in-law, was not his biological aunt. In other words, there was no biological relationship between him and Mr. Zhao's daughter. Mr. Zhao said that when he saw Mr. Yuan was serious, he got mad. He said that, quote, this is incest and, quote, this is like a beast. He later described his statement to Mr. Yuan as, quote, you become a beast for being incest, end quote. Mm. After that comment, Zhao said that Mr. Yuan hit him. When asked if Mr. Yuan used his fist, Mr. Zhao said he did not remember, 
but that, quote, I blocked him. Mr. Zhao said, quote, I can't fight against him, and I wanted to hit him, but I could not. He said, quote, I went backwards and backwards and discovered a hammer behind. He backed up in the direction of the door from the foyer to the garage as Yuan approached. From court documents, quote, the next part of his narrative to Constable Young is best quoted directly. So this is translated from Mandarin yeah. to English. Yeah. Mr. Zhao stated, I quickly grabbed the hammer. He said, you picked up a hammer, I'll kick you to death. He came over and kicked me right away. He kicked me. I struck him on his leg or foot. I didn't see clearly. I struck him, and then he went back to grab the gun. Once he held the gun, I know he's bad-tempered. I ran once he grabbed the gun. Before I could reach the gun, I hit his head. At this time, he turned around and wanted to grab my hammer. We fought over the hammer for some time. You know I can't beat him. He's strong. Yeah. In the end, he grabbed it and grabbed it from my hand. Once he grabbed it, I was almost at the door. Then I ran outside. I ran outside and I was exhausted. I can't run. And then he demonstrated the act of panting. Mm -hmm. okay. So he's out of breath. Mm -hmm. Mr. Zhao continued. As I was catching my breath, he came over. He came over grabbing a hammer. He came over. I saw instinctively I ducked and then he fell. He fell. I saw that he had fallen and he was right in front of me. I was worried if I ran forward, the hammer would hit me if it swings. So I ran backwards, grabbed the gun and loaded the bullets. Then I pointed at him. I said, don't move, don't move, I'm telling you. He held the hammer and flung it at me but missed. I think maybe he was tired. I was tired. He was tired too. He was stronger than me. And then I was scared. I opened fire. After the first shot, he lifted his head and hand high up. I was scared and shot the second time. He laid there without moving. He stopped moving. So I was confused. I thought, how did this happen? This is trouble. I thought I should quickly clean it up. End quote. Yeah, what a bunch of malarkey. You don't think that? I'm not, that, no, I, I don't buy, it, it's just, again, uh, oh, poor little innocent me, I was the victim, I was defending myself, I was backing up, there happened to be a hammer behind me. Hmm. Uh-huh, sure, sure, there happened to be a hammer behind, like, no, uh, no. So no. Li Zhao was charged with second-degree murder, and he was held over until trial, because he was a flight yeah, risk. Yeah, possible. Sure. Yeah. yeah. At trial, the details of the crime emerged, not entirely agreeing with Zhao's version of the events of May 2nd, 2015. What? Dr. Ord, the pathologist on the case, we've heard from Dr. Ord before, gave evidence in the proceedings. Quote, Dr. Ord found that the body had been separated into 108 discrete fragments. Holy cow plus multiple smaller pieces of tissue. In totality, they amounted to essentially complete remains. He estimated Mr. Yuan's height based on a reference table that corresponds to the length of a person's femur. He explained that Mr. Yuan's weight during his life would have been greater than the total weight of the remains, given the presence of 5 to 6 kilograms of blood as well as fluid in the tissues. The skin of the remains had been cut through quote, fairly neatly by a knife or other sharp implement, while the bones appeared to have been sawn through. There was a paint residue on the sawn edges, which I infer related to some previous task for which Mr. Zhao had used a saw. The, quote, portions were fairly uniformly divided, which led Dr. Ord to describe the overall dismemberment as also having been done fairly neatly. His overall opinion was that Mr. Yuan had died of a gunshot wound to the neck region. So essentially what this guy had to do was put the whole body back together. Yeah, I hate I hate saying it, but essentially it was a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, he had to reconstruct a, a, this whole a human puzzle that he had to, Isn't that, to reassemble. It's just, just and crazy. I, get, I guess it gives some insight into potentially why he did it. Because I'm because originally I'm thinking like, well, come on, you're like it, it's still going to be there. They're still going to find the body parts even if you cut it. Up. But I guess though it does compromises evidence. Oh, it definitely does. You know, and so that which might give credence to his 
uh, you know, he's taking all this time doing it, formulating yeah. his story and compromising the evidence to hope maybe make it easier to fit his narrative. So some of Dr. Ord's other findings potentially relate to Mr. Zhao's description of his struggle with Mr. Yuan before the shooting. Yuan's right shin bone and the adjacent fibula were broken in the initial melee. Oh. So remember he says he struck him in the leg with yeah. the hammer. Yeah. Well, he broke his leg when he did that. According to the yeah. doctor, yeah. this would have severely limited Yuan's mobility and in all likelihood his ability and probably his will to continue the attack. As somebody who broke a leg. Yeah, you're not running. No, you're, you're not coming at somebody. No. There was also a fracture of Mr. Yuan's posterior right parietal bone, and that's the lower right rear part of the skull. Mm. So he was hit from behind. Mm-hmm. Yep. With a hammer, possibly. Yeah. Its sunken nature was highly suggestive of a round-edged object being struck across the head with force. So a ball, hammer. A ball-peen hammer. Yeah. The underlying membrane inside the skull had remained intact, and it would have required significant time for any bleeding to develop and render the injury fatal. Such an injury could cause a loss of consciousness, but Dr. Ord testified it was, quote, hard to say either way. Yeah. There were also bruises on Yuan's knees and small tears on his palms, indicating a hard fall on the ground. Bonk in the head. Yeah. Fall to your knees. Who knows what the order of things was. Yeah. The Crown said it was straight up murder for money, one of the oldest motives in the book. Yep. The defense countered that Li Zhao was known for his philanthropy and good works in the community, and that wasn't disputed. They said that he was in full flight from reality at the time thanks to traumatic events he had to endure as a younger person. Mm -hmm. They provided witnesses to attest to his character and experts who spoke about his mental health. The defense claimed that Gang Yuan had provoked Li Zhao to the breaking point and it was Gang's lust for Yi Ming that finally sent Li Zhao over the edge. The judge did not buy what Li Zhao was selling. Phew. Here's a global news report after the verdict in January 2020. In his reasons for judgment, Justice Schultz said Li Zhao's testimony was almost entirely unbelievable. Yet the evidence he did accept into the record indicated there was no intent to kill Gan Yuan, and therefore enough reasonable doubt to not convict on second-degree murder. The Crown said all this evidence amounts to murder. We said no, all this evidence amounts to manslaughter. We all filed lengthy arguments. There were lots of reasons advanced and cases referred to, as you heard. And ultimately, the judge made the decision he did. Date will be set to sentence Zhao later this month. But after serving almost four years in pretrial, he may not spend that much more time in jail at all. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. So, <sighs> New York Times had covered the case and reported on the sentencing. It had been delayed till only days before the recording of this episode. Holy shit. So it was last Monday, in fact. Whoa. Quote, on Monday, Judge Terrence Schultz of the Supreme Court of British Columbia sentenced Zhao Li, now 60, to 10 years and six months in prison after his conviction for manslaughter and interfering with human remains. In January, the judge surprised Canadian legal experts when he ruled that Mr. Zhao was not guilty of murder. Under Canadian law, he could have been sentenced to life in prison for manslaughter. Zhao had been in custody for more than five years after killing Gang Yuan, his business partner and a family member. With each day in custody counting as 1.5 days toward his sentence, Mr. Zhao has two years, four months and eight days left to serve, the judge said. So Scott's there with his mouth open. Many online commenters say that this man got away with murder. What's your personal take on this, Scott? Oh, I, I tried my damnedest to be objective and give the courts the benefit of the doubt because this is what they do. They're the legal professionals. They understand uh, the nuances way more than, than, than we would. And so I have to believe that there's a reason the judge gave that sentence now as a non-official of the court it's bloody ridiculous he's going to be out in two and a half years like yeah. you, you break it down he murdered brutally murdered somebody hacked 
the person up. Well, it was even more than hat. Like, he he dismembered. No, he quite, ma- he made the person into tiny pieces. Yes, he yes. I'm trying to think of the proper word. Like he um, fillet. Like uh, he dissected. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a person, and it's okay. You get ten years. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me either. This case really, <laughs> I was just like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I wanted to cover it right away. Because it was one of those things where not only was it just a horrific, horrendous crime, but what, what the guy did afterward and and yeah. the police are watching, like this whole thing is just weird. And, and uh, you know, one thing, something that happens in Canada that I at least that doesn't happen in the States is judges, I don't know if it's even a law that they can't, but they never publicly speak about their trials, uh, aside from what they give, uh, what they say during the hearing itself. So in the States, you'll often hear judges in the media, on news and stuff, explaining why they came to this conclusion. In Canada, that doesn't really happen. Yeah. And so there's no, you know, nobody gets to ask the judge, aside from what they have said in court, you don't really get to ask the judge, hey, can you like, so what was the deal? And so you're just left pondering, okay, well, this is what they said. There's no follow-up ability to query. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this dude did get away with murder. Well, I wouldn't say got away because he's 10 years, but he got a slap on the wrist. Well, there you go. Yeah. Of course, as Gang Wan died without a will, his estate's in limbo. Uh, The rest of his family and the mothers of those five children they claim our yuans continue to squabble over the millions of scraps. Mm-hmm. And talking about these court cases would require another entire episode. Yeah, I mean, I can get schmoes like me not having a will because it's like, who's going to get the TV? Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. But when you've got millions and multiple properties, and if there's a Bentley involved, you, can, you, there, you, you better have put something a on a will piece together. Paper. You got to have something on a yeah, piece of paper. Yeah. That's it for this week's. That really a, wacky, weird a, case. It was a dilly of a pickle. Knife. Right, I guess. Man. It's time for some voicemails. Well, sure. let's listen yeah. to some of these. Uh, oh, wow. Um, wow. There's some weird ones here. Oh, goodness. Some short ones and then some long ones. Um, Story of my life. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's listen to this one. Hey, Scott and Mike, thank you very much for all your podcasts. I really enjoy listening to it, and I really wanted to call and say thank you for covering Becky Middleton. I was in high school with her, but a year ahead of, she was about a year ahead of me, but I know her, Jazzy, and it's a case that's not covered very often and kind of overshadowed by the other case you guys talked about. But thank you for doing justice to her, and thank you for your uh, concern and compliments. Um, And I just want to say I love your podcast, and thank you very much for what you do. It kills my drive to and from work, and I really enjoy listening to you guys and, and learning more about Canada through you. Thank you. Bye. It's always jarring when you know a victim Mm. or uh, are familiar when when you feel like there's a stronger connection than just I'm hearing this name yeah it's it's an eerie feeling yeah it sounded like she was a little emotional about the the call so yeah well well, I I can imagine the time to give us a call yeah I can understand why Mm -hmm. yeah thank you very much all right let's let's see another one here Hi folks, my name's Kale and my pronouns are they, them. I'm from Southern New Brunswick and I work for Merced Breweries while doing my nursing degree at St. FX in a good old Montgomery, Nova Scotia. I really love the show and I look forward to episodes each week. The Yumber Yard is a great community and I love the memes that get posted and all the, and all the good support and positivity that comes out from everybody there. I have a question for Scott. So Mike, if you want to cover your ears, that'd be great. Scott, how do I get a job where I can just show up and get told a story once a week? That sounds like a dream. Anyways, keep up the good work, drink Moosehead beer responsibly, and poop in your toque. Thanks. Uh, the answer is, uh, you got to know Mike. <laughs> That's 
pretty much that's it. That's the answer. That's pretty much it. That's the answer. That's why got, Joanna and Carol got to do it too. Yeah. I, <laughs> and this is another one where I love to translate because it said the very first sentence is, hi folks, my name is Carol. My printer made them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, I wish somebody would leave an actual message like that. Just like this nonsensical, just, just garbled my, nonsense message. My, my name is Carol, and my printer made them. And my printer made them. Oh, great! Well, th there you go. I'm so glad that your printer made them. And yeah, yeah. And Carol wasn't her name either, so no, no. Everything about that sentence was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> except for maybe the high folks. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I do want to thank you for providing your pronouns because still learning and evolving and it really helps all right here's our next one hey there mike and scott my name is sasha shalupugurney and i just wanted to say that i love you guys' podcast has and just for shits and giggles i'll share a favorite voicemail message that i usually have is welcome to the city morgue you stab them we slab them Love what you guys do and keep doing what you do. Go shit in your hat, boys. That used to be one of my prank calls. You stab them and we slab them? Yeah, that's what I used to, like, I would call somebody, hey, this is Paul from so-and-so more. You stab them and we slab them. We heard you got, like, a body there. Like, yeah. yeah, I've been known to do that. Yeah. Well. It's Canadian crimes right there. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, yeah. The, the uh, telephone uh, yeah. pranks. Pooping on in a bag and burning it on the front. Well, door. I'd never do anything like that. I never did, and I kind of regret that I never did. Here's another one from somebody who it looks like may have lived in Woodstock, New Brunswick. We don't know, though. Yeah, we'll see what we'll it see. actually is. Hi, Mike and Scott. This is Beth from Woodstock, New Brunswick. I now live in Vancouver, and every day at noon I get to hear that horn go that's from your intro. Um, I just wanted to call because in this week's episode, you mentioned that uh, you miss the small town community feel of the East Coast. Um, I really miss that too, and that's why I listen to this podcast. Mike, you get to give me that feeling of home every single week, and it makes me so happy. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. Go shit in your hat. Well, thanks, Beth. Yeah. That's I lovely. I know that. that. I know that puts a smile on Mike's face. It does. And so that's yeah. That, and Some, you, you must actually is paying attention. Yeah, and you must work downtown if you're hearing those horns every day. Yeah, because <laughs> that's where they be. That's where they be. That's where I recorded them. Anyway, uh, that is it for our voicemails this week. Thank you so much for calling in, everybody yeah. who called. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. You can leave us one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. And uh, I guess that means it's time for Patreon shoutouts now, it, doesn't it, it Scott? It is. Well, it let's is. see. Yeah. Let's see what happened on in the Patreon, the land of Patreon today patronage and people are very very amazed that we know so many people and where they're from and, it's a, and what they do for a living they're just blown away it, by uh canada's small well canada, so, but so is the world the world is small. the world is small and so is my mind yeah well that yeah well, yeah i mean you know i do i don't i do you know that my do. mind is small oh, i do okay we've got uh, three new patrons this week perfect well yeah from Mission, British Columbia, oh. we have Cameron Knowles. Yep. So what does Cameron do in Mission? Ah, Cameron Knowles, yes. Yeah, what does Cameron do? Boy, do I ever Knowles what oh, Cameron boy. does. Uh, Cameron works at the Mission Library, Oh, the, the MPL. The Mission Public Library. You know it. And what does you Cameron do at the Mission Public Library? I'm not letting you off the hook that Cleans easy. the books. Oh, he cleans, cleans them. Cleans the books. After the COVID-19. Every single page. Oh, boy. Of a newly returned book. So a book a day. Yeah, he's got every single page he has to clean and then reshelf it. <laughs> yeah, but people don't know that kind of detail put into cleaning. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's not a fun job. So next up, from Brooklyn, New York. What? From Brooklyn. I think you're our first Brooklyn. I don't know. We might have some others from, like, Brooklyn. I don't know. Over here. <laughs> I, I work know. three hours on my hair and he hits it. He <laughs> hits my hair. It's me doing my John Travolta. Uh, oh. We have James Marr. 
Uh, thank you, James. Thanks, That's so James. awesome. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love it that people are listening to us in different Brooklyn places. In Brooklyn, New York is just, hey, it's Brooklyn. I got to go get me a piece of pizza there in Brooklyn. Get to get a pie. I got to get me a pizza pie. What are you wow. talking about? That yeah. just blows my mind, Brooklyn. I don't know why that blows my mind, know, but it's, it's great. blowing my mind. But remember uh, a couple of weeks ago I said, I don't think we have any listeners in Turkey. Yeah. I've had a few emails. No, you and, have uh, really? messages from people who either are from Turkey or live in Turkey. No and say, way. Yes, there are people in Turkey listening to your show. God, that is so crazy. Yeah, isn't that nuts? Yes. <laughs> yes, so, mind-blowing. Yeah, so, uh, yes, thank you. People in Turkey. Thank you, people in Turkey and Brooklyn. <laughs> and Brooklyn. James, thank listen, you. Listening to our show. Yeah. That's fantastic. But uh, I've got to discuss what James does. Well, what does James do? Hey, does he work for a pizzeria? No, no. Does he have the diarrhea? But it's close. <laughs> what? Uh, he is, uh, he works for the morgue. That's not even close it's to pizza. Close. It's not close to diarrhea it's cold either. Meat. There's cold meat. Yeah. And he, yeah, so he, he, uh, but specifically autopsies for uh, people, mob hits. Oh That's his specialty is mob hits. So he's not very busy. Not lately. <laughs> there was a time though. Right. When James just, it was so stressed out, couldn't keep, couldn't catch up. And you got to say that what we said earlier with that New York accent, you stab him, we slab him. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a morgue theme tonight. Look at that. That's a callback for us. It really is. So thank you, James. Much appreciated. Very much appreciated. Next up, from Red Deer. Oh. Alberta. Yep. We have Stephanie Lorraine. Yeah. Yeah, I know Stephanie very well. Oh, what does Stephanie do? So what? It looks like Stephanie Griffiths here, though. Well, so maybe it's both. Maybe, maybe it is two. They're two people have teamed up. I guess. But it's Stephanie Lorraine that I know. Okay. That's the one and I what know. what does she do? So in Red Deer, I know this is just going to sound like I'm does taking- Does she paint the, the deer? Yeah, red. <laughs> oh. I know it sounds like I'm just taking the easy- Well, but someone's got to do it. And there's a reason it's called Red Deer. Because she's painting deer. Yeah, yeah. There's and there's a strict wow. policy though that the red deers aren't allowed to cross town lines, and, and so, so they can't leave the perimeter because, like, what's the point of having? So did she apprentice with her her parents who were also red deer painters? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's there's only three people yeah. allowed to do it, and it's all passed down generationally. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like the originally Stephanie didn't want to do that. Well, who would? Right. <laughs> Uh, have you tried to paint the deer? It's not easy. No, they don't stand still. No, no. And so, yeah, originally she was like, no, dad, I don't want, I want, I want to drive a taxi. But no, that's just like you end up giving in. You end up giving in and you just say, okay, fine. You give in. Okay, fine. I'll paint the deer. It, it does pay well. There you go. It does, and it's unionized. <laughs> the T Deer Painter deer Association painter. of Canada. So here we are. Now we're on to some donut money shout outs. Oh, okay. Uh, next up, we have Rachel Detta. Oh. And she says, Hi, guys. Thanks so much for acknowledging my career in marble countertop making. Oh, so it's yeah. one of our patrons. Yeah. I also walk dogs in my free time and got paid through PayPal every so often. So sorry it's not a patron frequency. Consider it like that morning PayPal. Oh, <laughs> see what I did there? Yes, I do. I did. Um, it stutters every so often, but it keeps coming. Cheers, boys, and keep it up. Also, Mike, thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. Uh, I'm used to Dita, and it was refreshing to hear you get it on the first try. Well, well you said Dita I, this time. No, I didn't. I said Dita. Oh, did you? Yes, I oh, did. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great if it's like, thank you, but you screwed it up. I, I didn't screw it up. Uh, here's speaking one from, speaking up. from a name, I am absolutely <laughs> going to screw up. This person's wow. name is Olaf. That part's, yeah, we got it. Engelsbert Stutter. Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. And Olaf, and I'm glad that Olaf is very easy. Yes. It's probably like oof or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Olaf doesn't want the message read on the show. Yeah. But let's just say he lives in Iceland and works for Ikea. Yeah, that, I mean... Scott was going to tell you that anyway. That's what I, I just beat me to it. Yeah, we, ju we just took a wild guess. Just beat me to it. I think yeah. he's a payroll clerk for IKEA. Mike, this is just leave nothing for me, right? Like I, 
that no, hey man, it just came to me. I know, I know, I've known and, you're, and you're right. I've known Olaf for a while. We've eaten raw fish together. Oh. <laughs> Herring, salted, salted. Mm, yum. Mm, They're not, called roll mops. Not pickled. Yeah, pickled too. Okay. Oh, so good. Mm, pickled, uh, pickled roll ups. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yum, yum. <laughs> So thank you to all our patrons, past and present, for your donations, as well as our Donut Money donors. You really are helping the show keep going. Uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash darkpatin, or for a one-time donation, you can send us some Donut Money via PayPal at our email address, darkpatinepodcast.gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it'd mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on any podcatcher, like Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, those places. Mm -hmm. Those places. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take time to give a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. You can also bury those one-star reviews bury on iTunes. Bury those sons of bitches. Because those people are trolls. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Oh my gosh, it's over. Dun, dun, dun. See you next week. Yes. Should we stop? I'll keep it going. I don't know. Just, I don't know what to do. Just give another 45 minutes of this. Just a silence of just mumbling? But people will be like, oh shit, it's a two-hour episode. This why must they, be a gooder. Yeah, why are they mumbling so yeah, much? Yeah. Okay, well, I don't want to do that. Well, then don't. Bye. Bye.